0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Anxious Laughter. This one's a little bit different. It's thematic like the others, but I'm going to be doing the theme whilst talking to you. Right now I'm talking to you from here in London, but throughout the podcast I'm going to be going somewhere. So today we're going to be talking about travel. I'm ready to go to the station. I don't need to leave for hours. It's quite a common thing that happens. I find myself going to the airport or going to the station, and I spend the last hour before I leave sitting on my suitcase in the hall. Metaphorically, obviously, we've got a sofa. I'd much rather be two hours early than two minutes late. I've never missed a plane. I've never missed a train because i'm always far too early it's i guess it's a good habit but it does get into conflict if you're traveling with somebody who doesn't think like that i mean i have friends who time things to the minute they they count back how long the journey's going to take and they they time it accurately they jump in a cab and then they they calculate how busy the traffic is and they get there with a couple of minutes to spare and they get out the cab, they walk through the station and straight onto the train or if it's an airport, they walk straight through to security and they arrive at the gate just as they're boarding the plane. I'd find that enormously stressful. For me, I prefer to have time to sit down. I could always read a book. I can always look out the window. Well, I can't really look out the window at Euston. There aren't any windows at Euston. And that's where I'm off to today, because I'm not taking plane, I'm taking a train. So, I'm going to sit here for another hour or so, and then I'm going to head over to Euston. Well, I'm kind of on my way to Euston. I'm standing outside waiting for an Uber. It's come to something when we think that 11 minutes is a long time to wait for a car. But, you know... The driver accepted my booking, but is 15 minutes away and if I'd known he was 15 minutes away I wouldn't have got an Uber. I would have done something else. But of course now if I cancel, now he's accepted, that actually affects my passenger rating. I didn't know this till the other day. But the passenger rating gets affected by cancelling jobs. So I'm stuck. I either take this job which involves waiting here for another 11 minutes until the car turns up or my passenger rating goes down my passenger rating is about 4.6 which is actually quite low I've read on the internet that's quite low and I've no idea what I've done to deserve that I know I've been sick in the back of an Uber I've never made a mess in the back of an Uber I'm always polite to the drivers I close the doors carefully I guess it can be anything I mean, I, I, I tip, but I know that they have to give the rating before they see the tip, so that doesn't impact it. Anyway, there's taxis going past all the time now. If I'd known he was 15 minutes away, I would have just stuck my arm out and got a black cab. I've now counted seven that have gone past with the lights on in the time I've been standing here, and I've got another 10 minutes to go. Anyway, first roll problems. I'm going to stand here, trying not to look too conspicuous next to a lamppost. And then I'm going to jump in the car off to Euston. Well, here I am at Euston station. I know this station. Well, I've been coming here for years when I was a kid and we used to come for day trips down to London. This was where the trains used to come in from Liverpool. The trains took a lot longer then than they do now. It's also where I travel from when I go back to see my family up in the northwest, And surprisingly, it's featured in quite a lot of professional journeys as well. Back when I worked in the mobile handset industry, I used to spend a lot of time up in Warrington. Well, Birchwood, actually. And then a job after that took me to Ashton quite a lot. So I would get the train up to Manchester Piccadilly and then the train out along to Guidebridge. But actually, that journey once was a little stranger. There's things called parliamentary trains in the UK, and these are when the the line has been effectively closed, but there's a lot of paperwork involved in closing a train line. So to avoid doing it, the train operator can operate what's called a parliamentary service. It's called that because it avoids the need to go through the legislation's requirements to close the line. So they run one train a day or even one train a week in one direction. And that's the case on this line. It's a line that runs from Stockport to Staleybridge. And it's um, a line with a few stations on the way. But it only has a parliamentary rail service currently. Now, I didn't know this. I knew about parliamentary services, but I didn't know about this specific one. And I just had my travel booked to go to Bridge by the people at work, and I hadn't really thought about it. I just picked up my tickets and got on the trains I was told to get on. And I thought, train director Guide Bridge from Stockport. Well, that's interesting. So I got on this little train that trundled into the platform and sat down and thought, this feels odd. Felt odder because every stop that we stopped at on the way, more people would get on. They'd have their photos taken with the conductor who was giving out the tickets, and they'd get tickets from the station because these stations didn't have many services. Well, one a week, in fact, in one direction. And then some people pulled out guitars, and they started to sing songs about this railway line and about this parliamentary service, and everyone was joining in except me. I was sitting at the end of the carriage in a business suit, looking slightly embarrassed and not quite sure what was going on. Fortunately, the journey to Guybridge wasn't actually that long and I think all these people were carrying on on the train over to Staleybridge. Bridge. Uh, I don't know how they were going to get home because the next train service, well, is never because it only runs in one direction once a week. So I got off in Guy Bridge. The other interesting thing for the slightly nerdy amongst us is because of the way the junction's laid out, it actually comes in on what would be the wrong platform for that direction of travel at Guy Bridge because it pulls into Guy Bridge before using the crossover to get onto the right track to carry on to Staley Bridge. So I told you this was going to be interesting. But also, I, the job I had before this one, I was going to Warrington quite a lot. Warrington Bank Key, that is, not Warrington Central. Although, do you know, if, you, if you're if you the kind of person that's interested in looking at rail maps, Warrington Central and Warrington Bank Key are not that far apart to walk between them. But actually, to get a train from one to the other, you have to take a really roundabout route. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yes, Euston Station. It's also the place where, when my dad wasn't very well... I'd be getting the train from here pretty much every weekend, sometimes twice a week. The trains I'd always get into Chester, it was a quieter service and a slightly quicker service than going all the way to Liverpool, and to get to Port Sunlight is kind of halfway between the two anyway, so it doesn't matter which end you take the Mersey Rail service from to get there. And I got to know every inch of that railway line. I got to know every tree on the West Coast Main Line. I got to see it in different seasons, mostly in winter. I got to see the stations I'd go through and never get off at. I got to see the, the line between Crewe and Chester, which obviously used to be busier and have a stopping passenger service, and now is just a, a fairly well-used line for trains to get over to the North Wales coast and to Chester. But today, I'm not going to Manchester, I'm not going to Liverpool, I'm not going to Chester. I'm going to somewhere else. I'm going to somewhere up in that bit of the country, obviously, because I'm going from Euston. I'm not going to the West Midlands, so I'm obviously going somewhere that's up in the northwest. It's somewhere that, a bit like London, really. It holds memories for me. I probably went there as often as I went to London as a kid, actually. Very different to London, though. Very, very different. I hate this bit. So the train's up on the board but it doesn't have a platform and yet I'm wandering around just to make sure that whichever platform it is I can get there quite soon. I mean not that it really matters I've got a reserved seat. I know I'm gonna get on the train it's not like I'm fighting for a seat. I'm just wandering around I think it's going to be from platform 13. So I'm standing at the top of platform 13. But the problem is from here, I can't see the departure board. So how am I going to know if it is platform 13? Hmm, Maybe I'll go back to the departure board. Well, I'm on the train. So far, I'm the only one in this carriage, but a lot of the seats seem to be reserved. No surprise really, it's um, a mid-morning train of a Friday to a seaside resort in the the last gasps of summer. So yeah, I'm quite looking forward to this. I do like traveling by train. There's something about looking out of the window and seeing seeing junctions, seeing branch lines going off to places, seeing places where branch lines used to go in the pre-beaching days and wondering Where does that go? Passing through the stations. On a train like this, you you don't stop everywhere. In fact, I don't think we stop very many times before we get there at all. Um, But you just see stations that you go through and you see people standing on those platforms and you think, what's that person's story? Where are they going today? Where have they come from? What are they thinking? What are they doing? It's kind of interesting. For now though, I'm gonna shut up because there's other people and I'll see you at the other end. Well, nearly there, five minutes to go. And so, in five minutes time, we'll be pulling into the Vegas of the North, Blackpool. I haven't been to Blackpool for years. I've been once in the past 20 years, and amazingly, this weekend is gonna be the first time I've ever spent a weekend in Blackpool. It's gonna be the first time I've ever stayed overnight in Blackpool. I know what to expect. Got some plans of stuff I'm going to be doing, got some plans of stuff I definitely won't be doing. But I remember Blackpool quite fondly. But for now, I've got to get myself off the train, find the hotel, dump my case, and then I'll talk a little bit about Blackpool. Well, hello from Blackpool. You can probably hear it's a little bit windy. That's because I'm currently sitting on the seafront. Well, a little bit back from it. Just by the North Pier, actually. To my left, I can see the tower. To my right, I can see, well, <laughs> well, Blackpool, really. Um, I've been here a lot. As I have to say, I haven't been for a good 10 years. Um, and I guess it's nostalgia that's bringing me back here. It was the closest big seaside resort as a kid. There was um, Southport, but that was always smaller. It was closer to home. It had a little zoo, and it was like a little version of Blackpool. It had a fun fur back then, which has long since closed down and gone. I think the zoo's gone as well. The pier's still there, but I think it only reopened quite recently. But anyway, here in Blackpool, it's a, it's a funny old place. You know, a lot of my friends and a lot of the people I work with, they grew up outside the UK and their cultural experiences growing up are obviously different to mine, but I find it... I find it odd when I talk to somebody who's never heard of Blackpool. They'll say I'm going to Blackpool for the weekend and they'll say, oh, what's that? Where's that? I mean, I don't know whether it's the fact that I came here so often as a kid or whether the fact that you just grow up with Blackpool in your consciousness growing up in the UK, but I... I find it hard to contemplate what it would be like never to have heard of Blackpool. I was trying to explain to a French person the other day, and for the benefit of those who don't know, I do speak French, so I was trying to find a way to describe Blackpool in French, and I was trying to find the word, and I was struggling to find the word, and it dawned on me after a while that it wasn't a linguistic problem, it was just a problem of not quite being able to come up with a word to describe the place. Hen parties come here for the drag queens, Strictly Come Dancing comes here once a year for the ballroom. Elderly couples come here to sit by the sea and to dance in the ballroom and you can now take tea in the ballroom. Families come to go on the piers, go to the aquarium, go up the tower. People come to go on the Pleasure Beach roller coasters. People come to paddle in the sea, not usually at this time of year admittedly, but... People come to see the illuminations. The Blackpool illuminations is a thing which is hard to explain to anybody who's not grown up with it. It's, it's illuminations, it's lights along the streets and they run for five miles. Um, And when I was growing up, I seem to remember that most of the illuminations were in the shapes of the heads of people who were in Coronation Street. I don't think those ones are still here, but there are some similar ones still here. And of course, there's the tower. The tower's like the Eiffel Tower, but smaller. Um, And in Blackpool, but similar idea, but just on one level. There are lifts that that run up it, obviously. And um, at the base, there's quite a big building um, with other amusements in. And, And as a kid, I used to go there and I remember there was an aquarium and at the very foot of the building there's a circus and it's one of very few circus rings in the world where the circus ring after the performers have finished actually sinks down into the ground and fills with water and then they have dancing fountains for the final act it's it's odd but quite spectacular of course there's the tower ballroom everybody who's ever seen Strictly has seen that I remember they used to have this kind of exploration bit at the tower and it was the first time I ever saw a plasma ball. You know, one of those things that has like the, the streaks of lightning, it looks like coming out from the thing in the middle towards the outside and you put your hand on it and they come towards your hand. I remember being fascinated with those as a kid. You couldn't buy them back then. They were something that was in places like that. They were too expensive and too rare to have in your own home. Of course, there's the trams as well. I mean, the Blackpool tram system used to be a bigger tram system, and actually at the moment it's getting slightly extended to the station. Runs all the way to Fleetwood in the north and down to Stargate in the south, which is past the Pleasure Beach. I remember as a kid there being lots of old trams and you know, that's still the case now. They have the new, to be honest, slightly boring ones that run up and down, but they have the heritage ones. They are the old trams, some dating back to the 1930s and beyond, which still run and they get them out of the depot during the illuminations during the summer season they run up and down they also have the illuminated trams now i remember these as a kid if only because i couldn't say the word illuminated so used to describe them as the hallucinated trams but i am pretty sure they were real and they've restored some of those and you know i'm actually quite excited about seeing the one in the shape of a train covered with lights going up and down the rails when we used to come here when I was a kid, we'd sometimes come by train. I think you could sometimes get direct trains from Liverpool, but most of the time we change in Preston. That's where I arrived today, actually, into the station. And then we'd sometimes come by car. Um, and later on, in my teens, I'd sometimes be the one doing the driving. By the time I had a driving license and a car, I remember once though we came as a family in a minibus. We decided there was going to be an outing to Blackpool, and so hired a minibus, and my uncle drove it up here. It wasn't such a long journey up from the Wirral to Blackpool, but um, we came with the the minibus loaded with family members and um, had a day having probably fish and chips and piling two peas into the amusements and not winning anything that kind of stuff and then it came time to go to the Lights. Now the Lights run as I say for five miles um, from down south of the Pleasure Beach quite a little bit of the way up the coast and then you turn off and go back to the motorway and we were in the, the the minibus and it wasn't the greatest um vehicle for it given that most of the lights hang above the road so you could see out the side so by the time you get up to the far end and you have the big tableau that's quite cool but for most of it you're staring well at people in other cars either side of you and you know there's two things i remember about that journey and neither of them are anything to do with the illuminations one of them was that we just got turned on just by down by stargate we just turned into the illuminations and then one of my young cousins announced that he needed the loo and so we spent the whole time through the illuminations trying to work out a discreet way for my young cousin to go to the loo it's not an easy problem to solve in a minibus when you don't have any bottles and you're driving very slowly through the illuminations now through the illuminations the traffic moves deliberately slowly It's not a road you drive along for anything other than the Illuminations. It's quite a slow drive. And we would have been completely distracted by that had it not also been for the fact that just as we turned into the queue of traffic for the Illuminations, the petrol light came on on the minibus. And so we didn't spend our time particularly watching the lights out the window or watching the trams going past. We spent quite a lot of our time watching the petrol light. I don't know what we thought it was going to do. And just hoping that we didn't break down in the middle of the lights, because that wouldn't be great. So yeah, I'm back up here again. Um, Just more people, my other half's arriving this evening. and We've got more friends arriving tomorrow. I'm planning to walk through the lights this year, which is something I've never actually done. Be quite an interesting experience. I imagine I will take an awful lot of photos. You know, I'm gonna go for a wander this afternoon before before anyone else arrives here. need to go and find lunch and I'll probably wander down towards the tower and see what's around there. I mean, I kind of know what's around there, but go for a wander. I'm not interested in the pleasure beach though. I was interested in some aspects of it as a kid. I was always interested in the engineering aspects of fairground rides more than I was the thrill of them. For me, it was about looking at how they work and then trying to reproduce that in Lego when I got home. You know, I really, I really tried for years to reproduce a roller coaster in Lego. Now I believe they now do the bits to allow you to do them, but back then they couldn't. I got quite a lot of other rides. I could never really do a carousel because it's quite hard to make round things out of Lego because it's all cuboid. I did manage to make a traveling fun fur once. I built everything on the back of trucks with wheels on and it all folded up and unfolded. That was kind of cool. But yeah, I used to watch the roller coasters and think about how they worked. There was a ride I did quite enjoy. I used to go on a lot as a kid. It's the Alice in Wonderland ride. It has the most annoying music and the most terrible animatronics. Um, But what used to amuse me about it was it went through these caves which were decorated with scenes from Alice in Wonderland lit up with ultraviolet, so it's all very spectacular. And it would then, the cars would then go out and travel through a cafe area. And there was also the river caves, and they would also travel through the same cafe area. And there was a cafe that you could sit in. And within that area, you'd see people on the rides going past, and that fascinated me. It was one of my main inspirations many years later when Roller Coaster Tycoon came out. I used to play that quite a lot. I've kind of gone off it recently, but I used to play it quite a lot, and I used to be fascinated by how the rides... Wove the way through each other, rather than actually doing the things you could do in the later versions, where you'd watch camera footage as if you were on the ride and see how thrilling it was. It's much more interested in the engineering. I have been on a roller coaster at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Actually, I've been on one called the Revolution, which is literally just one loop the loop of a roller coaster, and the car gets fired. It goes around the loop the loop. It goes the way, and then it comes back and does it again. And I went on that, and um, it's the only ever time I've been on a supposedly thrill roller coaster. I've been on the little kids ones, you know, the ones in the shape of a caterpillar that just go round in a figure of eight a bit. But it was many years ago, it's probably 30 years ago that I went on the revolution. And to be honest, I remember finding it interesting, but not thrilling. I didn't have a sense of fear. I didn't have a sense of excitement. I just had a sense of, oh, this is interesting. We're going on this thing. Not something i'd ever do again i'm not frightened of roller coasters i just don't see the point in them maybe i've just watched too many of those videos on youtube of things going wrong but i don't think so because i'm not actually afraid the one at blackpool which i find really oh sorry there's a tram going past me right now this is great for a podcast isn't it you can hear the tram but not see it it's one of the boring new ones it's not worth taking a photo of there was a Anyway, there's a roller coaster called the Avalanche, and it's, it's a roller coaster, I don't know how many of these there are in the world, but the, the cars actually come off the tracks and go down like a toboggan run thing on wheels, and then rejoin the tracks at the bottom. And the thing that troubles me about this, and I know a fair amount of physics, is you look at the tracks where the wheels go, they don't always go in the same place. Sometimes they go further up, sometimes they go further down, and that makes me think, could that come off? I mean, it's been going as long as I've been coming here it's probably been going 40 years and it hasn't so far so I admit it's highly unlikely anytime soon that it'll come off but it still concerns me anyway I'm up in Blackpool I've no idea why I'm recording this bit outside I mean it's quite a nice day and I'm sitting here by the sea but um it's just noisy so I'm going to go and find some lunch. And so I did. Very nice it was too. I walked down towards the tower, slightly past the tower, actually, past the North Pier along the seafront. Took A little bit of a detour into the town itself. Found myself some lunch, popped into Coral Island as well. I was slightly concerned coming back to Blackpool that it wouldn't be as exciting as it was when I was a kid. You know, when you're a kid, so many flashing lights, so many loud noises, you can think it's some kind of wonderland. And I was concerned that coming back, the the sheen would have worn off. I mean, it has in some ways, but actually Coral Island is still the assault on the senses. It always was. It's it's an insane place, but so much fun. I saw a heritage tram as well. It's really cool that they keep the heritage trams running. Um, And I actually saw one trundled past me as I was walking down along the prom because back in my day when I used to come here as a kid it all used to be the balloon trams look those up if you if you're interested they've kept a few back and they still run occasionally but they're all boring modern trams now I also saw some guys with a cherry picker on the back of a van now this is um these guys have yellow vans and on the back of them they have a cherry picker that goes up and their job is to go along during the daytime fixing the illuminations. I remember seeing these guys when I was a kid and thinking that must be the greatest job in the world. Of course I now know the greatest job in the world will be driving a heritage tram at Blackpool. I also took a bit of a detour back from the seafront. It's very easy just to go to Blackpool and see the seafront. Um, But I went for a wander around the town. You know, it's easy to forget that what you think of is the tower, the piers, the prom. But there's actually a, a fully functioning town there. So I went for a bit of a walk up through the shopping centre, up through the streets. It's the same stores you see everywhere. It's the same high street you see everywhere. There's a Starbucks and a Costa and one of those trendy ice cream places that seems to have popped up everywhere. Never saw that side of the town when I was a kid. I remember there was something about Woolworths being open on a Sunday because it was in a seaside resort and so there was some special dispensation from Sunday trading laws but I'm not sure whether I've made that up. Well, Blackpool isn't the only place I used to come to on holiday as a kid. Holidays for me started in North Wales. It's a little town called Kerwis. It's about halfway between Denby and Mold, just off the main road that connects the two and My dad's sister had a holiday caravan there. Still does, actually. In fact, most of that side of the family and their friends seem to have holiday caravans in this um, caravan park called Kerwis Castle. It wasn't a real medieval Welsh castle. It was some caravans up a steep hill on the side of the road. But it was cool. It was a great place to go. The atmosphere was so welcoming. My dad's sister and her husband, my uncle, used to go every weekend during the summer season and sometimes they'd arrange to pick us up on the Friday night and we'd go and spend the weekend with them and then we'd come back on the Sunday and it it was so lovely to be there. It was so much fun. We used to um, spend the daytimes going for walks, just playing on the swings at the caravan site or going to see relatives who lived locally at the top of the mountain. We used to go walking around the quarry and we used to find other places one place we often used to go for a walk was round a huge lake maybe it was a reservoir anyway it looked like a lake we used to go walking round, and it was quite a hike i remember once i was ahead with my uncle stan we were kind of messing round, running up and down the shore and onto the road and trying to dodge the water and um stan didn't do so brilliantly at the latter he went pretty much waist deep into the mud Managed to haul himself out and start walking back towards my dad and my auntie Bob who were catching us up. And um, I remember Bob telling me later she thought it was me and Stan walking towards her. But then said it can't be because Stan was wearing light coloured trousers and that guy's got dark coloured trousers on. He had to sit on plastic bags in the car to drive us back to the caravan. Another place we used to go walking all the time was up up to the, the TV transmission mast up on the hill. I've no idea what the mast's actually called or what the hill's actually called. I just know it as the mast hill. It's quite a walk up there, but it's quite nice up there. There's nothing but green rolling valleys and sheep and rocks. Very peaceful. In fact, that's where we scattered my dad's ashes. It was the year to the day after he died with a friend and my dad's sister. We we drove up there and scattered his ashes in the valley always imagine that ashes scattering is going to be some wonderful moment and it is psychologically and emotionally but um, physically it's quite a disappointing moment you know you just chuck the ashes and they blow in the wind and that's it really they're gone went back down to Bob's caravan had a glass of champagne and toasted him I think he'd like to be up there Back at the caravan site in happier times, we used to go down every Saturday night to the club. The club was a social club for those staying on the site, and it was down at the bottom of a very steep hill. Um, It had a swimming pool, which I never saw operational. There was a metal bridge across the swimming pool that you had to walk across to get into the club, but I never saw the pool full of water. There was a pool table. I really used to enjoy playing on that. Even as a young kid, I think I was pretty good at pool. I don't think people were being kind to me. I think it appealed to my mathematical side. I could calculate the angles and work out where I needed to hit the balls, where I needed to bounce off the cushions. I used to play with all the adults, and I remember that sometimes if a shot was particularly testing, they'd say, oh, this is a particularly testicle shot. And they'd all giggle and smile, and um, I had no idea why they were laughing. I mean, I still don't think it's particularly funny, but at least I now understand what they were saying. I also used to go to a holiday caravan with my mum as well. Her husband's relatives had one in Tawin, um, the kind of smaller cousin to Rill, slightly further into North Wales, up on the coast, not a million miles away from Kerwis, actually. Rill's run down these days. Used to have a fun fair and loads of arcades. I remember there was once an arcade I went to which was completely full of grabber machines, and they're my absolute favourite. Towen's just across the mouth of a river and it's uh, next door. It's smaller, has a few amusement arcades, has places where you can play that bingo game you play at the seaside, and has a little fun fair. It's a travelling fun fair that sets up in one place for the whole summer on the other side of the railway tracks. I remember before the footbridge went in, it went in as a result of an accident. To get to the fairground, you used to have to walk across the railway lines. This was the North Wales main line. Didn't seem particularly safe. We'd get a bike of chips and wander back past the humans No, you still love it. You still love playing fruit machines as a kid. And we went back to North Wales in 2014, I think it was. Started off with a weekend with my aunt, auntie Bob at a holiday caravan, which is now on a different site, but still in Kerwis. Went to the new version of the club with everybody on Saturday night and then spent the rest of the week driving round North Wales. We went to Conway Castle. I remember going as a kid and I remember it was fun, but so much more interesting and impressive as an adult. I think as an adult you have the ability to imagine the history, imagine the context. You can put yourself back there as a kid. It's just an exciting castle and it's the same as any other. And Conway's quite exciting because it's mostly complete as opposed to the ruined ones. But as an adult, it was brilliant. We went to Carnarfon as well and we went on to Anglesey. We went to Harlick Castle. We ended the week in Port Maddox. Now, I went there for the Festiniog Railway. Why else would you go there? used to go to the Festiniog Railway a lot as a kid, mostly on coach trips down from the Wirral, and um, I remember it was quite basic. The engines were pretty much the same as they are now. I mean, they're all the original ones, but I remember the carriages being wooden things that you'd sit on a bench and trundle along through the countryside, pushing past the trees. Now, there's a couple of things. Firstly, they've opened the second line from Port Maddock right across the country to Carnarfon, which is amazing, they've also put proper carriages on. It's like being on a proper train. You can sit there and eat ice cream and look out the window and they're heated and it's like a different experience. Still amazing, though. I still love those little steam engines. wasn't just Festiniog. We used to go on coaches as well. With my dad, used to go on coach trips abroad. I was going to say... Um, when I was recording this I never went abroad with my mum and then I realised I'd forgotten the trip to Brussels. So I went on a coach trip to Brussels with my mum. I've no idea how old I must have been. I can't remember much about it. I remember we went to the Atomium, that strange structure supposed to look like a crystal with atoms and bonds joining them and that was fun. I don't know what else we did in Brussels. Probably ate chocolate and saw the famous statue. I do remember we stopped in Bruges on the way home, though, because I remember my mum telling me she could see rabbits in the headlights of the coach as we pulled into the car park. I never saw the rabbits, but she insists they were there. But with my dad, we went to Paris, went to the Loire Valley, went to Rome, went to Prague, all the way on a coach. It wasn't the most comfortable way to travel, but it is kind of fun, and we got to see interesting places, and... Um, sometimes we'd sleep on the couch on the way there getting all the way to Prague was several days journey and we'd drive down to London around the M25 onto the ferry across to continental Europe and then all the way up through Germany and then down and into the Czech Republic and off to Prague first time I took a plane was in my twenties don't think my mum's never been on a plane I don't think my dad ever went on one in his life first planes I took were from Luton up to Liverpool. My granddad wasn't very well at the time and so um, I used to fly up for the weekend to see him. I'm not sure how much quicker it was than the train to be honest. By the time you've checked in and got from the airport into town and whatever but it was exciting to go on a plane. I mean I did that short hop quite a lot. I mean only recently we flew from Southend to Liverpool and I used to have a job which took me to a place just outside Manchester as I think I mentioned and used to fly there pretty much every week from London City Airport. That really was quicker than taking the train though because I live near London City Airport and the office was quite close to Manchester Airport at the other end. The first time I went abroad on a plane was also the first time I'd been abroad on my own and the first time I'd been on a plane on my own. I got quite a late night flight over to Stockholm. I didn't know at the time I'd go to Stockholm over a hundred times for work in the few years after that. But I arrived in February and the thermometer above the terminal building said it was minus 14. What a welcome. But I got to the hotel, I got to the office, I did everything I needed to do. And over the years following that, flying became such a necessity for me. I guess I've been very lucky in that I'm not frightened of flying. I never have been for the very first time. I find it quite magical, actually. You crundle your way across the taxiway and get to the head of the runway, and it's all a bit bouncy, and the planes feel ungainly when they're on land, and then you hear the engines roar, and it's like the pilot's put his foot down. You fly towards the horizon. It gets louder and louder and faster and faster, but not as fast as you'd think. And then suddenly... You're leaving the ground. The nose is up in the air and you're taking off. There's still something magic about it. I've met some interesting people on planes too. I once spent a whole flight back from Stockholm sitting next to a guy who for a living used to repair plane seats. He told me how expensive they were and how hard they were to fit into the planes and he was flown out by SAS to Stockholm to go and live in a hotel for three weeks just fitting new seats to planes apparently they do that because they have to replace them quickly because all the time the seats are out the plane's not earning money and a plane not earning money is an expensive plane also remember i was sat next to the old lady who couldn't work the entertainment system all the way back from seattle it was quite lovely really she picked what film she wanted. she'd asked me to press play on the film and then sit there and watch it and when the film finished she gently nudged me and asked me to put another film on for her I got talking to her about why she was in Seattle she'd been out to see her son who was just moved in with his partner out there and um, she was talking about how it might be a last visit she was about to turn 80 and health insurance was about to get so much more expensive so she wasn't sure whether she could go back again and um the lovely chat with her but of course being British you don't exchange names in these circumstances. I can get through an entire conversation somebody without introducing myself or without wanting them to introduce themselves to me. I do find long flights boring, though. I've been to Australia and New Zealand a few times and there's nothing you can do to take away the boredom. You can fly in economy or premium economy or business or first. It really doesn't matter. It's boring. There's nothing to see out the window got a little screen in front of you where you can watch some films if you want, but I just tend to read. You know, for somebody who doesn't think of himself as well-travelled, I've been to quite a few places. Was Australia and New Zealand, and I've also been to Beijing and Tokyo and around the US. I've never been to Africa, I've never been to South America, and weirdly, until earlier in 2019, I'd never been to Spain. Took a couple of business trips to Valencia earlier this year, probably take a few more. Didn't really see much of the town. I saw the hotel, the airport, the office and a quick whistle-stop tour around the cathedral and the fountains in the centre of town of an evening before dinner. Beijing I really liked. The last time I went there was just before the 2008 Olympics and my other half flew out at the end of my week of work and we transferred into a different hotel across town just by Tiananmen Square and did lots of touristy things. One day we booked a trip out onto a part of the wall slightly further out of town that's slightly less restored and um, we jumped into a taxi at our hotel which took us to the the point where we joined the others on the minibus. I think most of the other people on this tour had come from hostels and were students travelling backpackers. Didn't want to tell them we were staying in the Raffles Hotel. But anyway, we jumped on the minibus. We were given these sandwiches. Still no idea what it was that was in them, but it tasted okay. They took us to this place on the wall and said, go up there and then turn right and carry on walking for about 10 kilometres. And then when you get to this bit, 10 kilometres, come down the set of steps. And in the car park at the bottom, you'll find a little blue car. Get into the blue car and the man in the blue car will drive you to a local restaurant and then once everybody's arrived back at the local restaurant, we'll head back into town. I have no idea how doing that didn't make me anxious. I couldn't do that now. It was great fun though. The wall out there is a little bit more ruined than it is in the touristy bits by Beijing that have been built up. Sometimes you have to sit on your bum and kind of slide your way up or slide your way down the wall. But the very top of the hills, there are watchtowers. And even in the tallest watchtowers, you'd get tiny Chinese women with huge quantities of cans of Coke trying to sell them to you. And they'd also be trying to sell you Olympic hats. Now, Olympic hats were everywhere in Beijing. They taught some Beijing people some phonetic English to sell stuff for the Olympics. And so Olympic hats were everywhere. They'd also taught the taxi drivers. I remember once on a business trip, spending 20 minutes with a taxi driver who'd learned, hello, welcome to China. And we'd all smile and nod and laugh. And then he'd say it again. And we all smile and nod and laugh. And then he'd say it again. And this went on for 20 minutes. That was quite tiring. You know, despite loving Beijing, and I realise this is not going to make me popular with some people listening, but I really couldn't stomach Tokyo. I went quite a few times on business and I tried going for a wander around to see other things and I just couldn't relax in Tokyo. It got to the point where I had to still go on business and I was going and spending very short amounts of time. I mean, once I flew out and my business trip was the same as the cabin crew's layover so I had the same crew on the way out as the way back. They kind of looked at me, they recognised me, kind of took pity on me. Didn't upgrade me though. I do remember, I was on the way back from, was it Beijing, was it Tokyo? I think it was Beijing, because it was British Airways. I was sitting at the front of the cabin I was in, and there were two seats next to each other with uh, pockets in front. And the cabin crew came around with newspapers, as they always do, and this being British Airways, they offer you the Daily Mail, and I always say no, because, you know, I might be bored, but I've still got standards. But anyway, this day, they had one copy of The Guardian, And I could see them approaching with this copy of The Guardian, and they asked the woman next to me what newspaper she'd like, and she took The Guardian. So I didn't have anything, you know. I wasn't going to take the Daily Mail, was I? And so she folded The Guardian up, and she put it in the pocket in front of me. She didn't read it. She looked out the window, whatever. And then a little bit later into the flight, she said, excuse me, and went past and up to the loo, and she didn't come back. Well, she did come back. She came back on a stretcher. I saw her being carried by the cabin crew past me down to the front of the plane. And I thought, "Oh, doesn't look good. And then I thought, is she dead? And don't judge me. But then I thought, does she need that copy of The Guardian? And so I was staring at the copy of The Guardian and I was trying to think, well... If she's not coming back, she doesn't need it. But what if she does come back? If she comes back and I've taken the only copy of The Guardian, she's going to know it's her copy that I've taken. It's not like I could have popped to WH Smiths and got another one. We were on a plane. What was I going to say? Oh, I took your Guardian because I thought you were dead. That's not a nice thing to say to a stranger, is it? Then I thought, well, I could take the paper and do the crossword and then put it back. Boy, what if she came back when I was halfway through doing the crossword? I spent the entirety of the flight staring at this newspaper, wondering what to do. By the time it came towards fasten your seatbelts for landing, it was obvious she wasn't coming back to her seat, but there's no way I could do the Guardian crossword in that short amount of time that was left. never did find out what happened to her. Anyway, travel got a lot to say about travel you know i realize in this episode i've talked a lot about the logistics of travel and i've talked a lot about travel i've done and things i've seen but there's another side to it i haven't talked about how my anxiety feels about traveling i haven't talked about how anxious i can get how depressed i can get traveling that comes next time this is the first of a two-parter couple weeks from now in the next episode I'm going to revisit some of this old ground but I'm going to revisit it from a slightly different angle. Instead of telling you these stories by what I'm doing I'm going to retell them by telling you what I was thinking. Laughter. This was written, spoken, recorded by me, Dan McNeil. This episode was recorded in various places, including up in Blackpool, on a train, and in London. Unfortunately part of this episode had to be re-recorded after the fact because there were some problems with the original recording. The content hasn't changed, and it didn't change any of the bits on location. But Please forgive it if it doesn't quite sound as flowing as normal.